Welcome to the DBS Films Podcast, a behind-the-scenes look into making indie films. Learn from DBS Films about their process, tips, and fun stories that all come with making multiple movies a reality. Hey everybody, welcome to the DBS Films Podcast. My name is Kellen, with me as always is my brother Brendan. Together we make movies with DBS Films. Today's episode, we're going into part three of a scene-by-scene breakdown of Horror in the Forest, our newest feature horror film. If you haven't seen it yet, a review, a rental, it means the world to us. It means the world to the entire cast and crew. And it allows us to continue to do what we love to do, which is making movies for our fans with our fans. So be sure to take a look at it. As always, take a look at our Discord channel online, because that is the place to be if you want to be on set in our movies and working with us. So where we left off, we did kind of skip slightly ahead. We ended with the amazing performance from Brent when he was giving basically his monologue about being a jaded police officer. But... We had the sneaky tape, which was coming back to their Airbnb, and there was a tape which Georgie saw with a little play me on it. They bring it up there, they go ahead, they click play, and then we get an amazing performance, um, and we see some really messed up stuff when it came to what was on that tape. So I really enjoy this one. I think what I enjoy about it the most is... um, I think we're leaning more into, especially with Coldgrave. I don't know how your thoughts are on it now, because I know you did mention, you're like, oh, I kind of want to not do that as much. But basically in found footage where someone finds another footage, so it's basically found, found footage, and it cuts between those two things. I really enjoy that. I think it paces the movie really, really well. So basically what you have is you have Bo and Georgie putting the tape in. We cut to what's on the tape. You have Alessia doing an absolutely amazing performance, calling out for a missing child, Sammy. And we kind of cut in between those things. I think that is a incredibly smooth way to move the pacing along. So I was a huge fan of that style. And I know you're usually opposed to kind of the gritty, like little filter effects on it, but I like that too. I think that's, to me, that's really core found footage. So I liked this scene a lot. I think it added a lot and it did actually give you your favorite line of the movie. So I liked this scene. What, what were your thoughts on it? I mean, I think it's good. So the benefit of having one of these insert scenes is you can let your main actors relax. You can push the plot forward and you kind of give it its own time. It's basically like a little short anthology. And some of my, I mean, I grew up with Creep Show and some of these anthology series. I would absolutely love to make a horror anthology movie. So now you're kind of seeing, you know, the ideas and concepts where this comes from, where they find a VHS tape, they find a camera in the woods and they can watch it and you're thrown into like a little short story. I do agree with Kel. I think it's engaging and I really hope it works because number one, I really want to make an anthology movie. I think we could do a really cool one. I love the VHS stuff on Shutter. Um, especially with found footage, I think you do some really cool stuff. Uh, as far as like the gritty filter, I mean, I've embraced it. The Roger project, the cold grave pretty much has a filter all the way through the entire movie now, just because it looked really, really nice. And I'm like, this guy can't operate a camera, you know, to make this kind of footage. Um, and the grain, I think it does add a little bit of grittiness. I do want to see if it passes quality control. But for the most part, I hope it works because I would love to make an alien found footage movie. Um, I can't remember the one. It's like the old school VHS one where the alien comes into the the cabin that kind of blew up. I love that movie. And I like to make something similar where, you know, it's a 1980s style VHS recorder and it's capturing found footage stuff. And then that immediately, we don't have to worry about cell phones or anything like that. I think it's kind of cool. It kind of gives it that realistic feel that a lot of uh found footage um you know fans are looking for so 
you know, I'm hoping that people like this. It's in the Roger project multiple times, and now it's in Girl in Cabin 14. So, you know, I'm dipping my waters or my toes into the water, hoping that this, you know, takes off, that this works, because it's something that we could add to our arsenal and continue to, you know, utilize down the future. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of it. I like this process. I would hop all around. So hopefully it is something that is enjoyed upon. But again, I do want to give a big shout out to Alessia playing the distressed woman. And then also for uh, Mackenzie and Tatum for the special effects of the throat slit. I mean, that was a very, very cold night. Those are not easy things to do. And I think it came out very, very well. And again, it really helped out with the pacing of the movie. Um, so, you know, huge, huge props to everyone in that one. And then, uh, you know, Bo got to deliver your favorite line of, is this a snuff film? And then pull back. So, you know, again, I, I think it was something that it's a very smart way of progressing as a downbeat, in my opinion. It's like combining a downbeat and an upbeat in the same time, which if you can do that, that is going to be a huge benefit. So um, after this, they go ahead and they find Officer Reynolds and they show him the tape. But we already talked about this in the last episode of how Brent just crushed his monologue. Um, don't put him behind a very blank wall. And if you do, just zoom in. So that's really kind of the lessons um, learned there. Oh, actually, you know what? Let's talk real quick. Um, one of the hardest scenes that we had to do was just filming them reacting. And I think this is just a little tidbit for indie filmmaking. Just them sitting there watching that film. It took us so long to get the, the footage ready for them to watch then to get it plugged into the TV, then for it to work, only to realize the angle does not work and we had to film it a completely different way. So real quick, do you just want to talk about how filmmaking, this is why you need to do it because you don't understand, like in our heads, if you told me that, even after 12 movies, I'd be like, oh yeah, this will take like what? 30, 45 minutes? Like should not take long at all. And another one that took incredibly long was the pool scene. I know that one was kind of an epic uh, issue with things there but do you just want to kind of talk real quick about how as a filmmaker you even if you have good estimates there are things that will always come up that can potentially delay it and like if you look at like the longest per second per like filming of like amount of time that we really got footage coverage wise for how long it took to set up these would probably be on the higher end of that spectrum yeah i mean it's just difficult um to you know, say anything can go wrong at any time. So even if you think a scene's really easy, sometimes they become, you know, very difficult. I have a sixth sense for difficult scenes now. I understand which ones are gonna be complicated, which ones are gonna require more time. But then you have scenes like this or the pool scene that just there's either outside noise that's outside your control, the room is a little bit more difficult than you, you know, first anticipated. But the problem with this one is just our brains are very smooth and there was just no thought process or brain activity going on because I, it was a hard time for me to set up because I wanted them to watch it. And then I wanted to get the TV angle and we spent a lot of time exporting the footage and putting it, you know, on the TV or trying to find HDMI cable it was an old TV. So it only had the red, white, and I believe it's green audio stuff from the old school TVs. Um, the problem was we never had an angle of them actually watching the TV and we didn't need it because we were cutting back and forth. So we spent all this time for something that didn't even need to exist. And if I would have just stopped for a second and thought about how I'm going to edit this together, I would have never got that. And we just done the, you know, the, uh, the, the way it's shot now. So it's definitely something on the last days of these shoots, your brain is just not working where it needs to go. But it is a benefit that, you know, I understand how to edit these things. And then once 
you know, I got some kind of brain activity going. I realized, wait, I don't need a shot of this. Like, what am I even trying to do here? And then we got the shot, but you know, shooting is mentally and physically fatiguing, especially if you're a director, you're mentally taxed. Um, You're using a lot of brain power on making a ton of decisions. And when you get to those last two days, this was an eight day shoot. This was day eight. Um, It was, you know, there's not a lot of brain activity left, which is why we always say start with the hardest stuff first and finish downhill, because this was an easy scene, even though I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I gave wrong direction. We, it doesn't, you know, jeopardize the movie. It was just kind of like, Hey, um, let's take a step back here. Let's figure out what we want to do. And then, you know, get the shot. Exactly that. So just a little word of warning. So we have a tracking down of a one Nelson. Um, let's go ahead and start with before he gets into the uh, cabin. So just knocking on the door and arriving with a shotgun. Um, you know, as we've kind of mentioned before, Nelson really is the core element to this story. Um, as much as people want to go ahead and say, ah, witch woods found footage must be Blair Witch. It's really a psychological drama about grief and loss. We are much deeper. Obviously, you know, we are just, it's a metaphor. So you guys are just missing it if you think it's a Blair Witch. But basically, Nelson getting involved here really kind of, that's when I think you lean into the heart of the story. Um, and again, massive shout out to Jim on this one. He did a fantastic job portraying our Nelson. But the first one there, classic shotgun, you know, they knock on the door, people pop out, they say whatever, and then it's there. And I think to me, this is just us doing something that we know works. You know what I mean? You know that you knock out a door, nothing happens, someone pops out. This has been done millions and millions of times for the most part. It's very classic. And I think a lot of filmmakers might try and be like, oh, we want to do something different or unique, when really the way is you just lean into it and make it smooth and work. And I just kind of want to highlight the shotgun and opening scene as like, you know, a very basic one. But what was very surprising to me is it stood out for a lot of our audience. A lot of our audience were like, they really enjoyed how you first saw Nelson. Like they really enjoyed that element. And I think if you look at it on its face value, it could be something that's a very basic scene of him, you know, nothing happens. They're about to turn around the door pops open then he has a shotgun and it's kind of scary. That's very generic, but I think it was executed very well. And I was just surprised with how many people were like, Ooh, Nelson was going to, you know, shoot them right away or that Nelson character. It really kind of sets them up on the right foot. So that's kind of my thoughts on that little intro into Nelson. What are you kind of your thoughts and reactions to how it all came together? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I do pay attention to is how you enter characters into a movie and how you have them exit. I do think it's important. I think there's opportunities for number one pop scares in the horror genre. Um, but I think they just adding a little bit more, you know, creativeness is a way to do it. And you know, the Nelson character, his arc was cool because, you know, they're kind of, you know, hunting him, trying to find him or hearing about him. And we don't really flesh it out as much as we should have. It really, once again, you know, talking with you and thinking over, this really should be the Casey uh, Morgan story. Um, I do agree with that. But the good news is that this is how the Bigfoot movie works. So subconsciously, we kind of figured out what we needed to do in this movie and apply it to Bigfoot because he, the Bigfoot movie up until the Bigfoot shows up is basically them trying to track down this one character. The good news in that movie, he also enters the movie in a very interesting and unique way. So I definitely like it. I think having, you know, we needed a pop scare in there. I don't think it was necessarily a pop scare as much as it was 
just tension. Um, I think we could do it a little bit better. And I think it'll be interesting to see the split test with the Bigfoot movie. And then this one, um, the Bigfoot movie has a little bit more punch to it. But this one was tense enough to basically, you know, say that this guy's a little bit unhinged. And throughout the whole time with Jim, you know, my working with him, I wanted the Nelson character to be very bipolar. I wanted him to be very nice and friendly and inviting, and then also have fits of rage and has trouble uncontrolling, you know, controlling his rage. And he lashes out the other characters because it's kind of like a red herring of this guy's so nice. He's kind. How could he possibly kill his daughter or lose his daughter? And then, you know, 10 seconds later, he's yelling, smashing beer cans and yelling at Bo. So you're kind of like, whoa, you know, is this guy a wild card or not? Um, so that's kind of the dynamic that I think we added to the character. And, you know, shout out to Jim. He did brought a lot of this stuff up in pre-production. He understood what we were trying to do. And I thought he did a great job delivering his performance. Yeah, no, fantastic. And, you know, really kicks off to Jim. So we go ahead and embrace exactly what you mentioned with uh, Jim coming um, or them coming inside to talk with Jim. Now, I will say one thing that I planted my red flag very early in the process of is the take that we use. You will see there is a little spray from the beer can. Jim picks it up, does a little improv shotgun. And I firmly planted my red flag on this for multiple reasons. But the main reason I feel like people are like, holy shit, they have like some kind of beer rig. No, Jim just put that in the sink and it hit a knife and it popped open. So that was not intention whatsoever. Everyone was able to handle it. And when I saw it, I was like, yo, this is it. You, I do want to mention, were like, no, nah, this is too ridiculous. And I was like, no, dude, you have to keep this one. So I don't know if you're just giving me a pity flag or if you turned around to it. Um, but the beer spraying in the beginning, that was something that was definitely not intention. But I think it kind of sums it up. You know, it to me, it highlights Jim does not have his shit together. So, you know, he kind of walks in here and you have this. Do you want to just talk a little bit to that that beer spray and, and why you, you decided on going with that take? Yeah, I tried to remove it. Um, I tried very hard to remove this. Um, the only thing is, and here's indie filmmaking, we have about six or seven takes of it. Um, the other five are not good. They just like that was the one. And I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, I just wasn't a huge fan of it. But basically, that was by far the best take. And, you know, props to Alexa for turning and hiding her laugh. Props to Bo for staying in character and props for Jim for staying in character. Because if they would have broke on that, which could have very easily happened, um, we wouldn't have had a good take. Basically, there was either the the footage, because I had a rack focus and moved around. That was a pretty technical shot. The other footage was blurry. Bo and uh, Alexa's... Um, reactions weren't good in the other ones like we would have used one we would have had a footage to get the movie done but none of them were very good um and it does seem like people like this one i think it does add a little bit of fake production value so overall it's a win but just to show you on the indie level like even if you do something seven times in a row you might not get what you're looking for exactly that. so let's hop into the the meat and bones of it and that is really this scene. And I think this is something that's really, really cool with DBS is, you know, go back to Into the Forest. And what does it start off with? My name is Nelson Morgan, and I'm a sound mind and body. And then he goes into his story. And we pick up exactly with that. 
I think this is really the core of improving as a, a filmmaker is you latch onto those ideas that you mentioned. And um, once we're done with the scene by scene breakdowns, we'll have another two episodes talking about how we would remake this concept because we've already discussed it in detail. And it is something that we really enjoy. Um, but I think one of the coolest things to me was seeing this scene play out versus the end of the forest scene in the sense of where it really comes together. And huge shout out to Alexa, to Bo, and to Jim. I mean, this scene really brought it. And I just remember doing the rough edit. And when we finished filming this and putting the rough edit together and watching this, I was like, holy shit, we have really stepped up that emotional stranglehold that we have on this concept. Because again, into the forest, I think the biggest issue is like, did you really give a shit about Casey? You don't really know what's even going around. Whereas this, we've kind of focused heavily on the story of loss. And again, we'll kind of focus more on it even in the beginning. But at this point, I think we really dig the hit hooks deep. And now the audience understands, you know, this is clearly a what happened to Casey. And we're going to find out if Nelson can bring her back. Yeah, I mean, the whole movie needs to, you know, depend on this Nelson character is very difficult to find, you know, Jim and casting. He did, you know, a great job, but, you know, the whole story is grief and loss. This is what this story's about. You know, it's really at its core. It's not even that much of a horror movie. Yeah, there's pop scares. Yeah, there's crazy stuff that happens. But for the most part, basically, um, you know, it's Nelson's journey, you know, going through his grief, his suffering, whether or not he did it. And it really is kind of a sad movie because if you watch it all the way to the end, he wasn't responsible for anything. This is just a really bad thing that happened to him. And I think that, you know, yeah, there are similarities to Blair Witch and yeah, it's a Blair Witch, but like in my mind, it's a much different movie. It's almost like a thriller or a drama. I mean, even if you see the Amazon listing, Amazon gave us a drama tag on there, which I think is a first for us. So he needed to bring it. He needed to make you feel for this character while also remaining, you know, a wild card. And I thought he did a great job. You know, the intensity, the emotion of that scene is very, very long. It's very, very good. There's a good buildup. There's a good pop. And then it comes down to a nice epilogue, which we use in the trailer, which it says, I'm going to show you. This is at the perfect place in the movie, 30 minutes in. He's ready to basically become the lead character in this movie and take them on a further journey, you know, down the rabbit hole. So I thought he did a great job. Um, you know, I think the scene is really good. It looks really good in the RV. There are a little bit of audio issues. I remember his mic dropped off a little bit, but, you know, with the ability to manipulate audio and us, our, our past troubles of, you know, having to clean up audio in the past. Basically we've learned a lot with audio cleanup and it wasn't too bad, but you know, this scene really kind of solidifies the movie. The only thing is you do have two hardcore interviews, one with Brent, one with Nelson back to back. And I don't know if I would separate them or shorten them, but to me, Nelson's one felt right. He's recapping the story. He's telling you what's going on. He's developing lore and he's making you feel for him at the same time. All that stuff is so beneficial to, you know, just the story and the complexity of these characters. Yeah, it really is. And again, huge shout out to Jim. Absolutely amazing job here because it conveys exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you feel bad for him and you feel afraid of him. 
And it's really all done in such an expert way. So next scene, we have Bo doing Bo things, which is basically being like, Georgie, let's not go out there and get ourselves killed. But I think, again, you know, huge shout out to Andrew and Alexa. They really nailed the dynamic that we were looking for to make these more than just two idiot horror main characters that go out to the place and die. Like you really start seeing um, Georgie's motivations for it. So as an indie filmmaker, really one of the big things that you can do is if you have basically one of the characters essentially address what the audience might say in the sense of if the audience is like, oh, that's so dumb, don't go out there. Like he's obviously crazy or he's obviously going to kill you or something like that. Then you can kind of take that concept, you know, head first, which I believe is what we're doing with Bo. We're basically using him to be that lightning rod to be like, hey, Georgie, this might not be a good idea. We might be in a horror movie here and really kind of express that, which then gives Georgie the ability to express our logic for why they are going out there and thus win Bo over. So I think it is, a, you know, it's a pretty small scene. It's kind of like a little transition scene, but I think it is one of the more critical scenes for us of getting their motivation and mindset of why they're actually out there. Yeah, I mean, there's probably about two stay or should, should I stay or should I go scenes in this movie. Um, I think we did a good job of kind of breaking them up as opposed to doing a long one like we did in Murder House. Um, I think when you do the long ones, it's a little bit more obvious, like they're making a bad decision. But it's a horror movie. Your characters have to make bad decisions. And not only did we kind of sprinkle this and break this up, but we also were basically, um, you know, addressing why they should stay and you know why they should follow nelson but we're also addressing why bo wants to stay because from he could just leave but once again that little small scene that we had by the pool that alexa and andrew wrote kind of really gives it to his character it's like he wants to quit georgie he wants to leave georgie but he just can't in this movie in uh, the relationship in the movie, it's just that is how it is. Bo's downfall is he just can't say, no, I'm out of here. And I think the people who have a deeper understanding of uh, movies kind of pick this up. Um, some people just goes right over the head. So I think next time, you know, we highlight it a little bit more. We get a little more emphasis because there's a reason why he does this. This is a character trait for him. Um, but you know, some people just kind of missed on that. Um, but for the most part, I think people got it. They understood their dynamic and I think it strengthens their characters and their bond, you know, as they go into this final, uh, third of the movie. Yeah, it really does. It, it's that like little, but critical. And I think again, you know, it just shows our improvement in the sense of actually trying to give these characters some more motivation. Um, so then we have Nelson explaining his plan, which shout out to how good the map came out with everything. And all of those are little kid pictures of the, the crew and staff. So you'll see a little Brendan and a little Kellen there. Unfortunately, we just keep going missing, man. There's We're just witch bait at this point in time. Um, but I really like, again, this scene. And like, I think to me, you know, if you had to ask me, like, again, we had more time in production there. I think the thing that I would do for this is like you just go into an entire room that is covered wall to wall with stuff like this would be like a big improvement for it. Almost kind of like you walk in and like you really get the fact that Nelson's entire life is consumed to this one purpose would be kind of like the effort there. But on the indie scale for accomplishing what this scene needs to do and do it quickly, 
I think this just looks perfect. I mean, it looks great. You kind of get an idea. He highlights what you need to do. You've now set up the plot. You explain what his goal is. You understand that there's a witch that he's going to basically try and work with the witch to get it back. And, you know, this to me is you have to explain your plot. And this was done in a very, very well fashion, in my opinion, of how, you know, smooth and straightforward this scene was. Yeah, I think it's good. I think we finally got the, you know, explain the plot, what, you know, what's exactly going to happen um, down to a T. I thought it was really strong. I thought Nelson did a great job. Um, everyone did a great job setting up this board because I remember I had brought all the equipment over there and one of our wires on the camera that connects the hard drive just broke. It just would not work. We didn't have an extra one. Um, so I said to the guys, work on setting this room up make it look like a serial killer just like setting all this stuff up and i drove 30 minutes there and i drove 30 minutes back to get the replacement cord i got there and you know it was a great job one thing with this one though is there are a lot of versions where he was still after um the the dinner scene he was still kind of in that nelson character where he was angry at Bo and he was just agitated and he was basically yelling at Bo and alexa um, and we did like three or four like this and I was like, all right, we got the scene. And then we went and shot the, um, the rifle, the, the door scene next. And I just remember, you know, filming this. I'm like, man, if this guy's, if I'm coming here and this guy's telling me to go out in the woods and follow him and he's screaming at me like this, I wouldn't follow him. So we had to go back and reshoot all that stuff with him, you know, the way it is now where he's not agitated, not angry, but just more excited that somebody's going to follow them. And I'm very, very happy that we did that because I think a lot of people would have said, why are you going to the woods with this guy with a shotgun to try and find his daughter that he most likely killed if he's sitting here yelling at you? And it's just something that, you know, on hindsight, you just kind of make a decision to do it. Fortunately, I realized it quick enough and I think it's perfect now. I think it just kind of adds to his character that he still has to be sort of like a salesman to bring him out there. But you got to remember there is a twist in here and we have to kind of play that up. Exactly that. Can't necessarily trust Nelson. So that's going to go ahead and wrap up this episode again. Be sure to take a look at Horror in the Forest online. If you give us a rental and a review, it means the world to us. So please do also take a look at our Discord channel online because we make movies for our fans with our fans. And if you ever want to be part of a horror movie, all you got to do is join us online and keep your eyes peeled for those auditions and all of the other fun things that we do. But until then, have a good one, my friends. <laughs>